You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Alexa, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. Here with you all on this Tuesday, we got to talk about a surprisingly close game for your New Orleans Pelicans losing 116-111 to the Denver Nuggets, a game where they didn't have Alfred Payton, who was ruled out, and then Anthony Davis, who was ruled out early yesterday morning. We thought this one might just kind of be a blowout in the opposite direction. So how did the Pelicans keep this game close? Why should they have won this game in the first place? And what did they do to completely just throw this away and lose it towards the very end? We're going to cover all of that and more. Plus, the Pelicans get some new jerseys, which is just kind of blown up all over Twitter. And people really like these. So I want to talk about those because that's fun and the Pelicans lost, which makes me sad. So we're going to end on a high note today. But you did see some good play from the Pelicans in this Denver game so I guess that's kind of the consolation so all of that and more in the Tuesday edition of Locked On Pelicans so the Pelicans lose on the road in Denver 116-111 and on the surface just looking at that number and you go hey there was no Alfred Payton no Anthony Davis and to a much lesser extent no Darius Miller in this one that's pretty good to only lose by five to a very good team they're now five and one they also have one of the better home court advantages in the NBA hey this is kind of a moral victory right I don't know if this season when the Pelicans have so much riding and so much at stake there are such things as a moral victory but this is definitely kind of one of those losses you feel maybe they can build off of so if that's your definition of it cool yeah moral victory but the Pels should have won this game It's kind of as simple as that. Denver will take a different look at it. But from our perspective, the Pelicans should have won this game, losing by five and keeping it that close and having kind of subpar games from guys like Miritich. Drew Holiday didn't have the most effective game, scoring game that you would have liked with those two other guys out of the lineup. And you look at that, combined with a couple other things, which we'll all touch on here, they should have won this game. So it's disappointing to see them not do that. So let's run through the Brock score really quickly. The starting lineup in this one, a little bit different um, compared to what we were maybe expecting or seeing. They shuffled the lineup a little bit to kind of keep certain players' roles very similar. Drew Holiday started in the backcourt alongside Etwan Moore. You had Solomon Hill move into the starting lineup at the three spot. Nikola Mirotic at the four, that's been consistent. And Jaleel Okafor coming off the bench, moving into the starting lineup, playing the five. This meant Julius Randle was coming off of the bench, the role that he's played for most of the season other than the game against the Utah Jazz where AD didn't play and they just didn't get enough out of him. I think that game was more due to Rudy Gobert than him having a different role, but I think the Pelicans wanted to go with some consistency Consistency in this one. So they tried it. And starting with Randall, 24 points off the bench. He was the leading scorer for the Pelicans last night. 8 of 13 from the field, 61.5%. 
8 of 11 from the free throw line, grabbed 8 rebounds, had 6 assists. The playmaking's there. You can see it. I've talked about that a lot on this podcast going back to the offseason. He makes the right pass at the right time. You see it reflected in those assist numbers. But he did have 5 turnovers, and turnovers were a problem for this Pelicans team as a whole. This was a really big deal in this one. They actually had 22 total turnovers on the night. They'd been one of the better teams through at least the first 4 games of not turning the ball over, partially because they were playing in the fast break, playing in transition, and you just need to make one easy pass there, if at all, and you don't have the opportunity to turn the ball over as much. But 22 turnovers on the night, 27 turnover points for the Denver Nuggets. Basically, anytime the Pels turned it over, Denver was making them pay. When you combine that with only nine fast break points, that's not what this offense is kind of built to do at all. The fact that they got 111 and only lost by five just with those two numbers there, pretty good, all things considered, but 22 turnovers isn't going to get it done. Five coming from Julius Randle in last night's game. Etwan Moore is your second leading scorer for the Pelicans. 18 points, 7 of 10 from the field, 3 of 5 from deep. He finished with also five turnovers. It's almost half right there. At times, he does a little too much. He's a very solid player for this team. But when you ask him to be your primary ball handler on multiple possessions, he's going to try and dribble through some guys. He's going to put the ball on the ground and kind of have to rely on that floater when he's surrounded by bigs when he gets halfway to the paint and he's kind of in no man's land there. And you saw that. And then once he gets in that situation, if he doesn't get that floater off, it's likely going to be a turnover because he doesn't have the passing ability and some of the other abilities to kind of get himself out of the hole that he's dug himself into. Nikola Mirotic, third leading scorer here, 17 points on the night, 10 rebounds. He had two turnovers, so a little bit better. Seven for 17 from the field. Doesn't look terrible there, but he was just three of 11 from deep, 27.3%. That's not going to get it done. He had just an off night. He, you know, he's a, it's what happens with all shooters. They can be streaky. He was really hot to start the year, then that fades a little bit, and he goes through a cold stretch. This was kind of one of those rougher games from him. If he had remotely his regular stroke going from three, Pelicans probably win this one, but it just kind of wasn't meant to be. And that's kind of some of the the stuff you have to deal with with shooters. You kind of live and die if they're on or not. And there's not a whole lot you can do about that at times. Drew Holiday played uh, 34 and a half minutes, seven for 13 from the field. That was better, two of three from deep. So he shot well on the night, finished with eight rebounds, nine assists, but he also had five turnovers you saw at times the court wasn't spaced properly uh the you know the the Denver Nuggets were kind of funneling things down to Nikola Jokic he did a very good job defending and this Denver team by the way after being atrocious defensively the past couple of years they were third going into last night's game so pretty good from them overall they kind of just contained the Pelicans 16 points for Holiday but at no point did you really feel he was a threat to kind of have a big breakout scoring game in a game where they need him to step up He's the second best player on this team. So for him not to step up in the wake of Drew, of Anthony Davis being out, of Alfred Payton being out, that's where he's got to kind of rise to this occasion. You know, he was clutch against the Nets, but you didn't really see it against the Utah Jazz. You didn't quite see it tonight, though, or last night, so, but you don't want to say in a bad game. Overall, just kind of leaving a lot to be desired. Did foul out. He had some ticky-tack fouls called against him. Nothing was too bad. 
in my opinion. But six, you know, once he got that fifth one, it really changed the way he defended. You saw Denver then come in and kind of hit some shots. He wasn't able to kind of lock down on the perimeter like he normally can because he was just worried about that foul and getting thrown out. The sixth foul came basically right as time expired. Doesn't really matter. So overall, a good statistical night from him, but not the impact that you'd like to have seen from him. But there were some bright spots for the Pelicans, and I want to talk about the players and the lineups that got them back into this game. They made it two points in the fourth quarter before just kind of fading down the stretch. But before we do that, look, I get asked a lot of questions, especially during basketball season. You know, ever since I started hosting this podcast, people have been asking me for advice. Usually it's what team to bet on this week. And honestly, I don't know. I just analyze what we see on the court with this Pelicans team. I follow the league as a whole, but there's so much going on. You know, I don't know who's going to win on every night. But most of the people who ask me this kind of have a pretty good feeling. And if you think you know, then you've got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, guys, it is the best, and they are your best bet this season. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is super easy to use. Trust me, you're not sitting down at your computer looking at bets and stuff. You have a feeling you're at the game. You want to get on your phone. You want to be able to place your bet that way. So lay down some cash and win big today. I'd only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me, and that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for all of you fantasy guys out there, you can actually bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Join now and my bookie will match your first deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code locked on 25. That's locked on L O C K E D O N 25 to activate the offer. Visit my bookie online today. That's my bookie M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code locked on 25 when creating your account. My bookie will match your first deposit 100% up to $1,000. That is free money right there. So go turn that into even more with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. So we can nitpick this game to death. You can lament the lack of three-point shooting from Nikola Mirotic going three for 11 from deep, the lack of impact Drew Holiday really had on this game, or the lack of scoring when we really needed to see him step up. You can be upset about the 22 turnovers, which led to 27 points for the Denver Nuggets. All of that but there were bright spots in this, and the Pelicans outscored Denver 31-26 to in the third quarter, and they outscored them 35-32. to So they won the second half against this Nuggets team, largely due to the bench play and guys coming in that you weren't expecting to kind of be the heroes. And again, if you look at the box score, you're not going to see the impact they had. And that's why you've got to kind of still watch the games. Let's start with Tim Frazier. I'm saving Frank Jackson because I know that's who you're all excited for here. So we've got a tease to it. So Tim Frazier played basically 20 minutes in this game, scored five points. Great, right? Eh, whatever. Five points, 20 minutes. Nothing good. Had three assists, three rebounds. The stat line doesn't jump out at you. 
But my God, was this a dude who was insistent on having this team play with pace and running the type of offense that the Pelicans coaches and Alvin Gentry all want them to do. At times, the first half was sluggish. You didn't see off-ball movement. You didn't see the passing. You didn't see assists. And when you look at this Pelicans team finishing with just 28 assists on the night, that's not going to get it done, particularly when at one point they had basically the same amount of turnovers and assists. Tim Frazier in the second half running the offense really got this team moving. You saw better off-ball movement. You saw him push the pace and try and play in transition when the team got a defensive board, kind of pulling the strings out there in a bit of a Rondo-esque way. Very important to see from this team. That's one of the big reasons they started to get back into it after basically looking dead in the water in the first half. The first half, by the way, was played with a pace of exactly 100. That's not going to win this Pelicans team very many games. Pace in the second half, 114.92. So basically, let's round up, call it 115. Significant improvement right there. And that's largely due to Tim Frazier just trying to kind of play within the Pelican system and do what they want to do. So the box score doesn't jump out at you for what he did, but he was vitally important to this Pelicans comeback. The other guy is actually, one of the other guys I should say, is Czech Diallo. He's looked like he shouldn't even be on this team, and you could have easily made a claim that he shouldn't have made the opening day roster over some of the other guys. But in 13, 14 minutes, he was 3 of 4 from the field, 8 points, grabbed 5 rebounds, had 2 assists, kind of limited the damage he could do with turnovers and things like that, and actually had some surprisingly good defensive plays. I think he stoned, what was it, Murray at the rim at one point on a drive, just going up and down. And kind of his energy and the energy brought by Tim Frazier, he allowed some more off-ball movement out there. He's still a liability at times. But man, he just brings energy to the team when they were sluggish again in the first half. There's a reason he played the majority of his minutes in the second half, and the pace went up. There's a reason you didn't see Jaleel Okafor, who, by the way, finished with nine points and just was uh, he was effective at times but to play in that faster paced system you needed a guy with boundless energy like Chet Diallo brings to the table but the real guy who kind of did this and who brought that off ball movement who brought passing and just energy and pace to this team was Frank Jackson in the second half I know you've all been waiting for me to sing his praises and I've started to come around said we needed to wait till we saw actual NBA minutes for him and we're starting to 26 and a half minutes in this one four of eight from the field two of two from deep you've got to like that 10 points on the night and he finished with zero turnovers. His shot selection leaves a little bit um, to be admired here, and there's some concern that he's going to take too many mid-range shots, too many floaters, like off-balance pull-up mid-range Jays, which you don't really, really want. He's got the athleticism to get to the rim, so keep going, but I think, again, it's his fifth game as an actual pro, so I think that's kind of a big thing here. He's growing into this. But he brought that energy, he brought some scoring, and brought much-needed three-point shooting to that second unit too, and really was the engine that made things happen. He looks like an NBA player. The athleticism is there. Look at his first step, his first touch with the ball, the grab-and-goes that he has when he catches the outlet pass on the perimeter for the kickout and they run him off the three-point line. The way he can put the ball inside and then onto the ground as he drives to the rim is absolutely impressive and this is a dude who very clearly belongs in the NBA the other thing you've got to really like was his defense was pretty big in this one you know not many players can slow down Jamal Murray or Gary Harris and they both had 23 on the night in significant minutes but at least 
Frank Jackson's able to keep up with them. He's got a lot to learn defensively. He bring, you know, leaves a lot on the table there as well. But he has the tools to be very good on that side of the ball. And you saw him do it against two kind of elite guards here against the Denver Nuggets. So it was those three guys that really got this team back in the game late. Again, the Pelicans pulled within two after the Denver Nuggets had an 18-point lead at one point in this one. We thought this team was dead in the water. And these backups, which it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Think about it. These guys are coming in hungry. This is not Solomon Hill who's getting the start and can kind of waltz through this game and who did kind of waltz through this game and also just isn't that good of a player. These are three guys that want minutes because their kind of futures depend on it. So that's a big thing. Diallo needed to have a second half like this. Otherwise, we weren't going to see him in the damn rotation for a long time. Frank Jackson knows that if he plays really well with Ian Clark struggling in this one, he only played under six minutes, that he has a chance to really step up in the rotation. Maybe you give him some of Solomon Solomon, Hill, Solomon Hill's minutes going forward because Hill was that bad in this one. Hill, by the way, one of five on the night, 0 for 2 from deep, finished with four points. He was a minus eight. Not great there. But Frank Jackson has a golden opportunity in front of him, and he saw it, and he went after it, and that's almost all you want to see from him. Kind of jumping and rising to the occasion, living up to the moment here. So it was great to see. Those are the guys that got this team back in it, and they're the real bright spots. We've heard a lot of talk about this Pelicans depth. They're bench. They're deeper. They're going to need all of this. You hadn't really seen it a ton. I think one of the reasons you weren't seeing the bench play in some of the early games, say that 4-0 start, is because there was a lot of space between those games. You had rest. You, didn't, you could play eight guys, nine guys, and you didn't know, need to go deeper in your bench knowing you had two or three days off after that. Now you're starting to hit the stretch of schedule where you need that bench to step up. So for these guys to get significant minutes, make a pretty good run at the Denver Nuggets before ultimately follow, falling bad turnovers, a couple of bad officiating calls, but mostly just bad turnovers there and not getting stops. You know, it's still, they made the run that's got to kind of instill some confidence in them should Anthony Davis come back sooner rather than later, should Alfred Payton be back sooner rather than later. And I think that leads to a lot more success going forward for this team than had Anthony Davis played and maybe they just kind of ho-hummed and got a real close victory over the Denver Nuggets as much as we would have liked to have seen that. Before we get to the Pelicans leaked uniforms, which I think are awesome, and one or two other things that kind of jumped out at me just around the league as a whole, by the way, I want to touch on Clay Thompson and his record-setting night, which to put, I'll put in some perspective for you because it's mind-blowing, uh, the, the type of night from three that he had. It is a big week for football here in the Crescent City. You have the 6-1 Saints and the 8-0 Rams playing each other in the Superdome on Sunday late afternoon. And you also have LSU and Alabama going head-to-head -head in Death Valley Saturday night primetime on CBS. We've got two podcasts that are going to keep you up to date on everything you need to know in this huge week and the lead-up to these huge games. Tune in to Ross Jackson and Locked on Saints Monday through Friday, covering everything you need to know about your New Orleans Saints in a season that's shaping up and has a lot of shades of 2009. And then don't forget about Matt Moscona of ESPN Radio, the host of the brand new Locked on LSU. All of you Tiger fans who don't listen to his radio show in the market, this is the best way to keep up with your alma mater or your favorite team. Matt is awesome over at LSU. I'm going to say roll tide. Go Alabama because my girlfriend's family is huge Alabama fans and she's listening to me record this. So that said, still go listen to Locked on LSU. Go listen to Locked on Saints and subscribe to both of them.
So before the jerseys, Klay Thompson set an NBA record, broke Steph Curry's NBA record, his teammate, and had 14 three-pointers in their win the other night. 14 in a game. That is just, I, I don't know. It's its a lot to really think about making that many three-pointers. The Pelicans took 24 total in their game against the Denver Nuggets. Think about that for a second. Um, they took 24. Clay took just 10 less than the entire team combined, or made 10 less than the entire team took. He made more than the Pelicans made by three. The Pelicans were 11 for 24. Clay Thompson hit 14. So Clay Thompson is 14 three-pointers. This comes courtesy of David Locke, host of Locked On Jazz, the head of the Locked On Podcast Network here. The first team to hit 14 threes in a game ever was actually Sacramento in 1989. It didn't happen again until 1995, basically six years later. And then it basically just wasn't a thing until 2005. So just that's a team as a whole. No NBA team as a whole hit 14 threes until 89. Klay Thompson just hit 14 threes in a game by himself. The first team to actually ever take just take them, not make the threes. 14 threes in a game was in 1989 as well when Portland did it in a double overtime game. That's how different the NBA has, has changed or back was and is now. In 89, it took a double overtime game to take 14 threes. Clay Thompson just hit 14 in a game by himself. Pretty wild stuff. All right, so the jerseys, and this is kind of fun to me because the Pelicans, we all love the Mardi Gras jerseys. I think everyone hated the the sleeved ones. They loved the ones from the Hornet era, even though they were kind of weird. And then Nike brought them back with the purples without the sleeves last year, and they were just okay. No one really liked the off-center numbers with you know the two higher than the three and what have you. It looks like we're getting new ones. The new, they call them the city uniforms, leaked a little bit, at least the jerseys. It's a white jersey with a purple stripe, a green stripe, and a yellow stripe, all horizontal, with NOLA in the middle, and then you've got the numbers kind of off-centered under the N and the O. Basically, and I tweeted this out, they look like those perless polos, the long sleeve or short sleeve, that have that purple, green, and gold stripe down the chest, in the middle, and on the arms around the elbows as well. Basically, all the things you see everyone, guys and girls, wearing uptown on St. Charles during Mardi Gras parade. So that seems to be what the new city Mardi Gras uniforms are going to be for the Pelicans. They look really good in all honesty. There's also a throwback to the Jazz, which I didn't know about before and someone tweeted out at me and I don't have it in front of me to give you credit for it, but thank you. But back when it was the New Orleans Jazz, it looks like they wore an all-white warm-up with those three horizontal stripes in the same order, kind of in the same spot that look actually pretty slick. It looks kind of like an ABA type of look, which I think is kind of fun. So you've got kind of a throwback nod to the old-school Jazz team here in New Orleans. Orleans, but you've also got the reference or the homage, whatever you want to call it, to the current basic uniform of a lot of people during Mardi Gras season. I know a lot of people would like to see something else than Mardi Gras uniforms using uh, that for the Pelicans to use that describe kind of the culture of the city of New Orleans. You're looking, if you're Nike, to make something that's got a wide appeal and a wide range that's going to appeal to people outside of New Orleans. And really, one of the first things they think of when you think of New Orleans is 100% going to be Mardi Gras. So I don't think you're really going to see 
anyone else and any other type of uniform we'd like some sort of jazz thing maybe something to the music here it's not as easy to do because that's not really where people go though it's worth mentioning that the minnesota timberwolves are going to have a purple prince inspired uniform which is also leaked and looks really badass too but i think when you think if you try and think of something that's the most iconic thing from these cities maybe it is prince in minnesota it's definitely going to be Mardi Gras and New Orleans, and that's what they're going to do because, you know, you try and sell these to the world, not just to a city. But these look good. I think a lot of people are really happy about this, so I think these are going to be fun. We don't know when they're going to wear them, likely during Mardi Gras season. I don't know when they're going to have an official unveiling, but it's a lot of fun. It's New uniforms are always a good thing. These are good considering that the previous Mardi Gras uniforms have just been kind of hit or miss and no one really loved them. I think a lot of people are going to love these. I think it's going to have a nice throwback look, so I'm excited. So there you go. That's your fashion news of the day, of the week, probably of the season here in Locked On Pelicans. So that's going to do it for this edition of the podcast of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. If you're a new listener, thank you all for tuning in. If you've been with me from the beginning, I appreciate you sticking through some bad Pelicans years. So still, we're having fun. No AD, no Alfred Payton. You only lose by five on the road to Denver. It's pretty good. Frank Jackson kind of stepping forward, being the player a lot of people were expecting and hoping. That's also very exciting. So it's just fun times ahead for this team. So thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. I'll be back with you all tomorrow.